your state, your team, your show. This is Sports Nightly. Adrian gets the snap, puts it in the belly of Wandale around the left side. He's got a first down, 35-30. Wandale, 25-20, 15-10-5. He is in. Touchdown, Nebraska. Now, let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Greg Sharp and Tim Curran. Yeah, Tim Curran in for Ben McLaughlin. Ben's off for a couple of weeks. Spent a little time with his baby daughter, Kennedy. Great to have Tim with us here tonight. We pried him away from watching NBA exhibition basketball from Orlando. <laughs> right? Yeah, it was – I wouldn't say quite right. In fact, I was, Greg, uh, tracking my St. Louis Cardinals, taking the Royals to the woodshed right now. Uh, they're up by more than a few runs. That's what I was keeping track of. But, uh, no, I'm glad to be – uh, here co-hosting Sports Nightly with you. I know the people want less of Ben. They want more of me. We're really just giving the people what yeah. they want. So I'm glad to be serving that capacity. Yeah, there's a lot of people nodding right now. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly <laughs> that's exactly right. Did you sample – you didn't sample any NBA today, huh? No, I should have. Um, like, I'm not – I wouldn't call myself an anti-NBA crusader by any means, but I am also not a – being a dude from the Midwest, uh, I'm not as in the – yeah. NBA as I should be. Uh, ostensibly, I'm a Celtics fan. Uh, me and me and Ben both, because Ben's just a Kemba Walker fan. Jumped on that bandwagon. So am I. I guess I'm a I'm more of a Brad Stevens kind of fanboy. Um, but the weird kind of bubble basketball thing. I I don't know if I'm. I've already NBA regular season games already put me to sleep. I'm not sure if I could get through a fanless, like very sterile environment NBA thing. I don't know if I could do it. They were pumping a little bit of, you know, some music and stuff into it That's to right. try to liven up the gym a little bit. That's why I really sampled it just to see what did it look like without fans there and the benches kind of underneath almost an overhang a little bit is where they had the benches up a little bit. And they only played 10-minute quarters. I don't mm-hmm. know if they're going to do this. for. I think they, each team gets three exhibition games before they get going. I believe it's the 31st is when they tip it off for their final eight games of the regular season. Uh, and that's only the teams that are there, only 22 of the teams. Not every team is down there. Only 22 uh, are down there still playing for the next couple of weeks. So I did sample that. And if you want to, NBA TV's got it on tonight if you want to go look at some of that. Baseball does start tomorrow. Two games for real tomorrow. And then everybody goes on Friday. So we're not far away from that happening at all. I want to first start. We always like to talk Huskers right off the, off the bat. And, Tim, the, the social media group over at the stadium has been busy the last couple of days. Uh, we mentioned it early in the week that this week was the first time the basketball coaches could get out on the court with some of their guys. They've been putting up some, some uh, pictures of some of the new players. And I'm, kinda, I'm looking at those kind of going, Who's that? Who's this? Who's that? <laughs> yeah. uh, and somebody was somebody was good enough to kind of go, okay, dribbling over in this picture was this guy. This guy's Latin man. This guy's Teddy Allen. I'm like, oh, good. Thank you. I don't know what these guys look like. Yeah, so a lot of new a, faces. It's a veritable who's who, as in who is that? And do I know him? Uh, there's a lot. I mean, you go through the roster. There's a, uh, I think it's like a seven to eight ratio of pictures versus no pictures um and i guess we're gonna have to get used to that i mean i think that i, I think i just assumed their season one it's like yeah I, I assume we're gonna get a few more transfers in but uh no th- this kind of roster turnover is really just becoming normal not just at nebraska but basically across 
all of college basketball. So as fans, you're going to have to adjust. And really, I mean, Kentucky's been doing that for a decade plus. Um, so it, it's really not a new thing. And, uh, you know, as long as they perform, uh, I don't think Nebraska fans are going to care too much. There are three guys that aren't there. Thor, who I would have recognized him if he'd have been there. Mm-hmm. Ivan, who the, both those guys, and I think they've been now cleared to fly back. So the, apparently they're coming back to Lincoln this weekend. So they're going to be joining their new teammates here in a couple of days. And Shamil Stevenson also not here yet. He's still quarantining with his family, but expected to get in Lincoln before too long. Uh, but it was great to see some pictures. The coaches were wearing masks. To see Doc Sadler in a mask, pretty good look. <laughs> pretty good look for Doc. He, he already looks good. Uh, I think the mask has just taken it to the next level. Um, I think he tweeted something to the effect of, I like defense and people who wear masks. And I, I like Coach Sadler, so all those things, uh, they're good for me. Oh, that was great. So uh, if you were on social media at all today, you probably saw some of those pictures up. You saw Fred Hoiberg with a mask in the background of a couple of the shots. And the football team was busy today. They were getting their pictures in their uniforms today. So a lot of people were like, oh, so Marcus Fleming's going to wear this number and uh, Nico Cooper's going to wear this. So they were matching up some of the new players on the roster with what number they're going to have for the football team. So they were sending that out. So there's some activity going on at some of the athletic facilities on campus right now. Yeah, and the, the biggest thing too, Greg, is um, and this is a few days old, so I'm not revealing any new information here, but the seeing the physical transformation of some of these guys, seeing that video of Ty Robinson just getting after it, I mean, I don't think I've seen a man that large since I watched the Mountain and Game of Thrones. I mean, I don't know what Zach DeVall is doing, what kind of mad scientist stuff is going on there, uh, but it's seriously, seriously impressive. And also stuff, the hype videos, uh, the Nebraska football social media, and really just all across Husker world, have really stepped it up. I mean, you're looking at at, at what these videos, these hype videos, that they're really they're kind of like mini music videos that they're making. Mm-hmm. That's got to be a huge recruiting incentive. I mean, if you're 18, 17, scrolling through Twitter and you see what Nebraska is pumping out there from a social media perspective, that's got to be a huge, huge selling point uh, for a lot of these guys. I mean, that's that's just really cool to see. Um, Zach Duvall's killing it. The football team's killing it right now. Uh, very, very cool stuff. The Ty Robinson video was was jaw dropping. It really was. Oh yeah. Then you go back to last week, and Nash Hutmacher, aka the Polar Bear, he's squatting unbelievable amounts. In fact, <laughs> Zach Duval said we had to go find a different bar to hold all the weight. That this uh, true <laughs> freshman is squatting right now. So I mean, it, I, I teared up looking things. at that. Now, I mean, that, as someone who is a very amateur, um, shall we say, uh, weightlifter, uh, I, I I was in pain. Uh, even watching that video and to see, I mean, the nutrition at Nebraska and strength and conditioning has always been massive. And now that Nebraska is, you know, they're ahead of the curve in a lot of this stuff. And, you know, Zach Duvall having a chance to, uh, in fact, he was on sports nightly a, a, a little while ago, a few months ago. Um, and, and hearing him explain that process, uh, it, it really, and, and that's really where, development and winning game starts is in the weight room and you taking these guys who were already big to begin with i mean the nash hutmacher was a big man <laughs> to begin with you get him squatting that weight and and ty robinson same thing it'd be huge huge guy physical talent and you're you're basically just transforming them building even more mass on them so it's just it's almost scary in a way but in a, in a good scary it's it's kind of incredible to watch yeah it's fun stuff and i know the fans get a kick out of that and you're right the social media tip your cap to them they're doing a nice job of kind of sp- 
stoking the fire a little bit for everybody as we get a little bit closer. Well, another day, and we're still trying to track what could possibly happen for college football. Dennis Dodd, who we've had on this program a, a number of times from CBS Sports, has a piece up that he put up um, a couple of hours ago talking about the SEC, the ACC, and the Big 12 are considering a plus-one scheduling model. So what that means is they would play their conference games and then protect one non-conference matchup. And in a lot of cases, it's going to be matchups within those three leagues that are already on the schedule. This makes some sense to me, Tim. And Josh and I touched on this a little bit last night on the program. There's an awful lot of SEC schools who some of their biggest rivalries are in the ACC conference. Florida, Florida State maybe is the biggest example of that. Absolutely. I think the fan bases would love to have that game still take place if possible. Right. That makes a lot of sense from that perspective, too, because I think that when I when I read the headline, I was like, oh, does this mean Nebraska just throwing Notre Dame on their schedule? And <laughs> but um, no, I mean, if you're looking at uh, interstate rivalries, stuff that like, uh, you know, uh, Florida, Florida State, there's also Iowa, Iowa State. I don't know if that gets resurrected under the, under this type of deal. Maybe, maybe not. Um, but there's a, a lot of kind of logistical questions to it, not not from the team's playing necessarily but there's also uh, the big 10 and the pack will talk about adding just another conference game so bringing it from nine conference games to 10 conference games well does the big 12 do that because they already play everyone in their schedule um so it just seems like depending on the circumstances like a florida florida state game that makes sense i hope they can get that done iowa iowa state would make a ton of sense um it, it probably wouldn't make sense for everyone like who would nebraska add if they were to add a conference thing there's also something about the contracts as well because if you've ripped up a contract with one school and then you say okay now we're going to add this game even if it makes logistical sense and them being in the same state there's going to be a lot of bitterness i think from those schools who said hey what the heck you said you're not playing non-con games so to me it, it makes sense and doesn't make sense it's probably best handled at each situation kind of at a case-by-case basis yeah unfortunately i think the ship has sailed for big 10 i think the big 10 sticking with conference only we're not going to step outside the league but to those conferences, Florida, Florida State is maybe the biggest, biggest example. How about Kentucky, Louisville? There's another big yeah. one in that state that they love to play each other every year. South Carolina, Clemson, both in that South Carolina, state of South Carolina, love to play each year. So I, I think that's probably the, the direction those leagues are looking at, maybe paring down the schedule. Remember, the SEC only plays and the ACC only play eight league games as it is. That's one of the big beefs I have. Big 12 plays nine big 10 plays nine pack 12 plays nine i think we're going to add even one more and go to 10 the stinking sec and acc only play eight so they get four <laughs> non-conference games and usually one of them is a pretty good game like a florida or a florida state but it'll be interesting to see if that happens nothing today from the big 10 um, when they came out tim i think it was a friday with this, the the announcement of saying we're only going to play conference games, they said a week to 10 days we would announce the new schedule. Well, we're past that now. We're like at 12 or 13 days since they did that. So I don't know whether they're stalling, if they're waiting for something else to happen. One other piece of, of nugget that I dug up today, Rick Neuheisel, the former Colorado coach, former UCLA coach, Washington coach, where I, maybe I'm missing one of his stops. He now is a, uh, does a talk show. He's like us. He's on satellite radio. He was on a, a show earlier today and said pac 12 schools are being told be ready september 26th is when we're going to kick off our schedule so they look like that league's going to push it back three weeks maybe the big 10 does the same thing pushes their schedule back three or four weeks I, we're, we're all kind of guessing at this point in time 
Right, which I think was the intent behind the Big Ten going to non-con, or rather conference only. Um, and of course, Nebraska was set to start the season against Purdue on September the 5th, so we don't really know at this point whether or not that's still going to happen. I, they might just punt. Uh, but you're right, it, it's frustrating a little bit because at a certain point, we're already in late July here, you're going to have to make a decision. It's not going to be an easy call either way you, you slice it, but to kind of wait because this thing changes sometimes you hear good news some days you hear bad news and to kind of just keep waiting and keep waiting it, it just starts to drag this process out i would rather they come out make a decision and then you can plan eventualities after that so if you say okay we're gonna play maybe we hold off until late september maybe we hold off until october but then to start putting those plans or contingencies in place rather than just say eh, we're gonna wait we're just gonna kind of wait and see and you just kind of are in this this kind of limbo state i i just want someone somewhere whether that's the ncaa the sec someone should take a lead on this and and just kind of put their foot down and say this is what we're going to do and this is how we're going to do it well you had the big 10 and the pac-12 two weeks ago come out and say conference only the other three big power fives weren't real happy with that. They're like, wait, what are you doing this so early for? We have a couple more weeks to kind of figure this out a little bit. So they weren't real happy. Now you kind of get the feeling everybody's waiting. All right, who's going to be the first one to say this is the start date? And I think they're all kind of going, okay, is, it, is the Big Ten going to step put their foot in that water first? Who's going to dip their toe in there first? My guess is it may be the Big Ten. The Big Ten took the lead on the whole thing with the scheduling. They may be the first ones to cross the bridge and go into that. We'll certainly – continue to monitor it here every night we're we're certainly vested in this and interested in what's going to happen with this whole thing all right here's what we have coming up this hour another edition of the husker huddle with jeremiah searles real treat for you tonight quincy anunwa who's had a tremendous career with the new york jets he's battled a lot of injuries the last couple of years signed a big contract a year ago got hurt uh he's down right now we'll get the latest on quincy from jeremiah coming up in a little bit that's been so much fun tim to hear jeremiah sit down and talk to some of the guys he played with some guys that he hasn't played with but i mean when you get a football guy who knows what it's like in those locker rooms i think you get a little something out of it it's been fun to hear jeremiah do those Oh, yeah. And even, um, you know, watching Jeremiah squeeze into, you know, you're your normally where you sit uh, and that power chair there is also a fun sight to see as well. But getting the everyone's perspectives and, and yeah, listening to two guys, you know, it's almost like yeah, it's why you call it the Husker huddle. It's basically like you're in the huddle with them and to get right. that perspective. It's really fascinating. Welcome back to another episode of Husker Huddle presented by Sap Brothers who say welcome to be our guest. Today we're lucky enough to be joined by current New York Jet member, former Nebraska Cornhusker wide receiver Quincy Anunwa. Quincy, how are you, my friend? I'm doing well, man. How you doing? I'm doing good, man. Trying to beat the heat down here in Lincoln and uh, keep our heads above water as things seem to be closing back up again. But uh, we want to appreciate you taking the time to catch up and kind of just see what you've been up to lately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anytime, man. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to the convo. Awesome. Well, I mean, first of all, what have you, what have you been up to? I mean, everyone I've talked to so far this year has a kind of different story. As once things start shutting down in March, I mean, as NFL players, you know, that's usually the time you start kind of ramping your training up, getting back ready to go for OTAs. How have you handled the pandemic, and where have you kind of been stationed at? Yeah. So, um, for me, it's been, I've been stationed in the same spot, and unfortunately, it's been New Jersey. So. Mm. We got hit the hardest, um, so it was really kind of just me being stuck out here, uh, figuring out how I was going to do my workouts, 
to my rehab uh, because this this coming season I won't be playing again um, another injury. So for me, it's just about uh, just trying to take care of myself the best way possible. So I know last year you you signed a nice deal there, and then you get injured week one against the Bills, and and that's got to be tough. But like, how have you been handling that mentally, physically? How are you feeling? Do you feel like you're getting back, or is this something you're just going to really take slow and and make sure that you get that neck right? Yeah. So honestly, I feel I feel good. You okay. know, I feel good physically. Um, the only problem I have is just that uh, anytime I take an MRI, you know, the image isn't exactly what they want it to be. Um, so. You know, I'm just taking it slow, you know, um, with this year, with another year off, um, it'll give me another opportunity to just kind of get back to where I need to be at. Um, so, you know, mentally it was tough. You know, when you when you suffer two season-ending injuries, um, it's always tough on you. You know, we, we kind of, we spend our whole lives trying to get to this point, right? And mm-hmm. so when when uh, it ends and, well, when the season ends right. and it's not the Wanted to end, uh, you know. So it's, it's always tough to kind of battle through that. Um, and uh, anybody that's been on IR kind of knows it's, it's it can be a pretty uh, isolating uh, mm-hmm. place. To, you know. Yeah, I mean, it, I remember I was on I was put on IR twice, and it is a very it's a lonely feeling almost because you feel like this sense of you're not only you're letting yourself down, you're letting your team down. And so, I mean, I know you personally, I'm sure you've been handling it well, but I mean, what are some things that you've done, maybe hobbies that you've picked up or maybe something that you've kind of done to keep yourself busy? I know Luke Keekley, um, when I was in Carolina, he actually, when he went on IR for his concussions, he watched YouTube and taught himself magic tricks. So uh, I, I was just curious, maybe is there anything you've picked up along the way to keep the mind occupied? Yeah, no, so no magic tricks. Uh, <laughs> I've been uh, doing a lot of reading. I've, I've read so many books now. Um, I, I I feel like I wish I would have done it before. You know, you go through school and everybody tells you, you know, read, read, read. And I was so focused on football. There was no, I, I felt as though there was no time to pick up a book and really gain that knowledge. And uh, now I've, I've gotten so much knowledge from the books I've been reading. Um, it's been so helpful, especially during this time. Um, and uh, that's been the biggest thing for me. Um, other than that, um, you know, just just trying to uh, work on things outside of outside of football. You know, make sure that I'm ready for post football, and if that comes sooner than later. Yeah, man, I think that's a great plan, and I mean, it does it does seem to happen when you least expect it. I can speak from that for experience. So it's nice to find a spot here at the Husker Sports Network, and let's talk a little Husker football here. Before I want to get your thoughts on all the NFLPA and NFL and talking about COVID, but before we get to that, I'd love to talk a little bit Husker football, man. J.D. Spielman leaves here, who probably would have broke every record. Um, as a wide receiver here, which leaves kind of a void here. Going into year three systems here for Scott Frost, what are you looking at from this wide receiver room that's really young, unproven, but has a lot of potential coming into it? Yeah, uh, you know, it's it's it's, uh, it's unfortunate, man. You know, you look at a guy that has that much talent, um, you know, in the few games that I watch, you know, he was making plays all the time. So um, it, it, it'll be tough. And I think that, you know, when you look at a guy like Scott Frost, you know, he's, he's a likable guy. And I think that that helps him in recruiting. and It'll help him with the players he has right now. Um, I'm hoping, you know, those guys can step up. You know, that, that's that's our best bet right now. Um, you know, when you lose a talent like that, you, you always have to do the next man up, you know. And I think that's that's something that we preach in football, and I'm hoping that that's what we're preaching there as well. 
I think that's going to be a big piece for this Huskers offense. I mean, young quarterback coming back who's now the, I mean, really a leader on this team. you got a solid offensive line. Seems the one question mark is that wide receiver, which when I was here, I was lucky enough. I was looking back at some of the, or some of our I mean, players that we had when we were playing together, Q. I mean, it was you, it was Kenny. I mean, Jamal Turner. We had Brandon Kenny. I mean, we had such a stacked wide receiver. I mean, it's weird to see a Nebraska team that doesn't just have, I mean, guys on deck at that position. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I think it's been a little bit of a drop-off, you know, since, uh, well, shoot, I mean, we, we just had Stanley. So we've had a few guys, you know, and I think mm-hmm. that, uh, I think I think guys will show up, you know, and uh, when you have an offense that uh, is capable of putting points on the board, somebody's going to want to put those points on the board, you know. So uh, I, I'm looking forward to seeing what happens. Absolutely, me too. But let's get into what is really going on in the topic. And one thing I was really excited that you were on the slate to talk to this week is all we've seen through social media, whether Instagram is Twitter, is NFL players taking their voice and taking it to the platform. I know you're a player rep up there for the uh, New York Jets. And let's talk a little bit about what is going on with players wanting to play, but the NFL and the NFLPA needing to come to an agreement. Um, I think they're coming close to one, but maybe you could give us a little more insight on what that's going to be moving forward here. Yeah, so, um, you know, it's, it's a tough position to be in right now. Uh, you know, so much uncertainty, um, so much so much we don't know. Um, so uh, I think that both sides, NFL and NFLPA, are doing our best to kind of come to an agreement that is the safest for everybody, not only the players, but their families. Um, and uh, as far as I know, you know, we, we, we've come to a, a pretty strong agreement. And we have a phone call actually later today um, just to kind of disperse that information and uh, allow us as reps to kind of know exactly where we're at. So um, I think I think that, uh, you know, it's looking pretty positive. I mean, what what is realistic? I mean, not talking, take your PA rep off and just a player's hat on right now. Like, what do you think is realistic for this season? Do you think it'll be season as normal? Or do you think we'll see some cancellations? Or I, I'm very interested to see how the, the, I guess, the flow of the 2020 NFL season might look like. Yeah. I, uh, as a player, right? Um, I, I don't know. I, I you want to be as optimistic as possible, especially, you know, if I was playing this year, I would I would definitely want to be as optimistic mm-hmm. as possible. You never want to see a season be canceled. Um, I think we all we all have put in so much work um, to get to this point right now. And so for that to have been canceled from a virus, um, you know, that's devastating. Uh, I, I would like to think that um, the NFL would do the best, would take care of us as best as possible. And uh, I think it's really going to be about watching what happens with this bubble um, in the NBA, um, watching what happens in the NHL. Um, you know, those would be great examples of, like, what might happen for us. Yeah, I mean, I think that one thing that you and I were talking about a little bit before the show here was – how the NFL is really going to have such a trickle-down effect because you're seeing it right now, certain college conferences even saying, hey, we're pushing football to the spring or we're going to have to cancel completely. I really, truly believe that the Power Five conferences want to play in the fall. I think that they're waiting to see, okay, can the NFL handle it all and then trickle down? What are your thoughts on college football this year? Because it's one thing for the NFL, right? You can pay guys. You can say, hey, if you don't stay in this bubble, you don't stay quarantined, whatever, like you don't get a paycheck. Okay, people are going to do that. Now, you talk college is a whole different animal. You've got class. You've got people that you're interacting with nonstop. I mean, do you think that there's a more likelihood of an NFL season or a college season, or do you think they're kind of linked together? 
Yeah, I think I think they're pretty pretty linked. Um, I think the biggest thing though, that you look at with college, is there's no cut downs, right? So mm-hmm. you have about a hundred guys, and they're there all year, you know. So that's that's a lot. That's a lot of uh, different people to watch, um, different people to make sure that they're not doing things that might bring the virus into that uh, bubble. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it, it's pretty unpredictable, you know. And so. Uh, I don't I don't I want to say that they're linked, but I think that, you know, if we're being smart in this situation, um, you know, they might want to take more. Uh, uh, they might want to take more caution than the NFL. Yeah. I mean, what do you think about football in the spring for NFL or college? I mean, personally, uh, my my thought on it here is if there's no football in the fall of 2020, there should not be football again until the fall of 2021. Um, I don't know what your thoughts on it. That's just kind of where I've kind of laid my my line in the sand with the thoughts on it. Yeah, um, I, I agree. You know, I don't I don't think that there's really any necessity for that. Um, <laughs> in general, um, now that I've, I've been in the NFL, I don't I don't really see a need for spring. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, if, if if they want to do spring football, I think that you know they should just cancel this next one if we don't have a fall season. Yeah, because I think it then becomes a safety issue because then you start talking about, okay, if you have a, I mean, even a, a spring slash winter season, you're talking, what, February through June, and then guys, because the NFL plows ahead, guys that want to go to the NFL, what, finish in June, drafted in June, and then start to get a September. Or, I, it just, it seems like it's just an interesting, it's an interesting premise, and I'll be curious to see how it folds out there. But uh, uh, Quincy, what are some what are some things you're looking forward to? I know you wish you're going to be on the field this year, but now that you're off the field, how you're going to maybe try and be a leader, or some different ways you might try and implement yourself in that Jets locker room this year? As I mean, I knew you were a team captain. I know you are a team captain. Um, how are some things you're going to implement this year different now that you're not on the field for the 2020 season? Uh, yeah. So this being my second year in a row now being off I think that uh you know last year it was tough I had to kind of adjust um especially getting a new contract you know it was like all right I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna show everybody this is I deserve this thing mm-hmm. you know, I've done exactly what I need to do um so you know when that first injury happened I kind of like fell to the back and stayed away from the team I think this year coming up you know I definitely want to be more involved um be a voice um make sure that uh you know, I'm passing on any knowledge that I have to guys, young guys, you know, we drafted a receiver um, and, and just trying to be as helpful as possible, um, you know, especially right now, you know, where, where, where there's so much uh, uncertainty, so so many things that people are going to have to get used to on, on the fly, right? Mm-hmm. So have any um, offseason, didn't get a chance to really learn the playbook while running routes with the coaches on the field. Um, so you're going to have to learn fast. And so I think for me, just having that experience that I've had being in the league for six going on seven years, I want to at least be able to pass it on to guys so that you know they can get up to speed as fast as possible. Quint, just want to say thank you again for joining us here on Husker Huddle, presented by Sap Brothers. Sap Brothers' top priority is to keep guests and teammates safe. Sap Brothers offering full service at the pump as our nation relies now more than ever on drivers and farmers to provide essentials to our communities. Sap Brothers is committed to serving you. Quincy, as we let you go here, man, anything else you want to say to Husker Nation? We're excited we got a chance to get caught back up with you. We're excited to hopefully see you again on the football field in 2021. Um, any class remarks here before we let you go? Uh, you know, I'm just keep it simple, man. Go Big Red. It's the Sports Nightly Preseason Top 25 tonight. First and goal from the two. Purdy pumps, looks, wide open man. Kohler, touchdown Iowa State. Charlie Kohler with another touchdown reception. His seventh in the 
number 23, the Iowa State Cyclones. And here's filling in all the blanks for us on Iowa State's Randy Peterson from the Des Moines Register. Randy, I hope you're doing well. Hope you're staying healthy and safe during all these crazy times. I'm doing as well as can be expected. How about yourself? <laughs> Hanging in there. Just kind of curious when we're going to get some answers on this upcoming, hopefully upcoming college football season. Let me start there, Randy. What kind of what kind of um, did, did they eye roll in Ames when the Big Ten came out and said no non-conference game, thus thus stopping the Cyhawk game for a year? What was the reaction in Ames to the Big Ten's decision? The eye not only rolled in Ames, they rolled in Dallas. With I talked to Bolsby the Big 12 commissioner, I mean, within, I don't know, sometime within three hours or so of the Big Ten's decision. And, and Bolsby and I talked quite a bit because he's, he's also an Iowan. And so we knew each other long before he was who he is now. But, um, yeah, and, and that the Big Ten's decision took everybody by surprise because um, they, they had a meeting among the – Power Five commissioners on the you know a Zoom meeting that the day that it happened I believe it was on a Friday maybe a Thursday, and Bolsby came away from that meeting that, that there'd be no bombshells, um, nobody would announce anything crazy or or anything like that, and then a few hours later here comes the Big Ten decision. So I called Bolsby right away and I said what I said what the heck Some, or something like that, and had to he and you know he was blindsided. So yeah, that surprised everybody. But yeah, no Cyhawk game. That's uh, wow. That's that's. I don't I don't know whether people have quite grasped it yet here in our state because people are our fans are trying to figure out a way to play it and and I keep telling them it ain't happening. Um, so I guess for for a, a season, I hope it's just a season that everybody can put their their week long hostility against each other. <laughs> I'll pack it away, away, and and uh, you know, and put that hostility into something more more beneficial, like trying to figure out how to get rid of the COVID. But um, yeah, it 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 hit everybody pretty hard. I mean, it's going to hit it, the game's supposed to be in Iowa City this year, and it's going to hit that community really hard because of the hotels probably were getting sold out, and that's a at least a two night minimum. Um, bars were going to be packed. Um, you know, as you got, as you know, there's. There's more people in the parking lots tailgating before the, before that game than than what's actually in the stadium. So I mean, it's it's just a right of of the fall for Iowa, Iowa State to play football against each other, and it's it's not happening. So um, yeah, it's gonna it's a, certainly a void. I'll tell you that. I feel Randy, the senior. Yeah, Randy. To your knowledge, is Iowa State trying to replace that game? Have they made any inquiries to other schools to try to replace that game, or are they sitting back to wait and see what happens here? Well, here's the deal with that. I think they're sitting back and, and waiting. I think they probably made preliminary call to to Northern Iowa because Northern Iowa lost that game too. That's who Iowa was supposed to open the season with is against Northern Iowa. I think Iowa State in Northern Iowa being at the Northern Iowa. Athletic director David Harris used to be at Iowa State with Jamie Pollard's um, um, was a senior associate athletic director at Iowa State. I think that they've probably talked, um, but I don't. I don't know if it's. I doubt it that it's extended beyond that because how do we know that the, we don't even know the Big 12 is going to allow? <clears throat> excuse me, going to allow their, its teams to play non-conference games, um, so or at least non-conference games outside of the Power Five structure. 
So I, you know, I don't know. I, I, I understand we're supposed to find out something on Friday when the NCAA Board of Governors meet, but I don't think what we're going to find out Friday is going to pertain to, to Power Five schools like Iowa, Iowa State, and Nebraska. You know, the Big Ten and the Big Twelve and, and the Power Five conferences. I think because those conferences are essentially leaderless anyway, because the NCAA doesn't govern them. So I'm guessing that the Big Twelve, the SEC, and the ACC. Um, Get the you know go another week and a half two weeks before deciding on what they're going to do. But bottom line is, I'm guessing they go if they play if they choose to play football. I'm guessing they go conference games only as well. Randy Peterson's with us from the Des Moines Register. We've got Iowa State at number 23 in our preseason top 25. Let's dive into the Cyclones. It starts with Brock Purdy. How impressive a quarterback is this guy in person, Randy? He's he's really impressive, and he looks more impressive now than he did last year, just as physically. I've just seen him. I've not seen him. Well, I, actually, I did see him in person. I live in Des Moines, and I was in Ames, I don't know, about a week ago. I just needed to get my Iowa State campus fixed, so I just drove up and, and drove around, and, and I saw him um, – walking in the in one of the parking lots and and i didn't i i you know we we waved it at each other from afar but he's bulked up he's bulked up he's he's um um he looks he looks very good from a physical standpoint um if this kid can stay healthy i'll tell you what he's he's going to end up he'll be a junior he's going to end up as iowa state's all-time quarterback leader in every statistical category he's he's that good there have been some good ones down through the years at Iowa State. How about the offensive line? As I look at it, just one starter back. Is that one of the questions that this team's going to have to answer? It's one of two questions that this team's got to answer. It's, and I put, I'm putting it at number two. Number one, I think that there needs to be a – somebody needs to find – they need to find a backup quarterback because whoever the backup quarterback's going to be has not taken a college snap has not taken a college snap. So so that's that's huge. But but um they've they Iowa State rotated a number of offensive linemen in and out last year. But yeah, they, okay, they lost three starters or actually four starters, yeah, but they've got two guys back who who started a lot of the season, Trevor Downing um and Colin Newell. Colin Newell was actually the starting center and then he got hurt after maybe the third game of the year. He got hurt and missed six games in a row, five or six games in a row. So, so he, and he came back for the bowl game against Notre Dame and he was, you know, just barely back. I mean, so they essentially have two starting linemen back and, and, and um, Trevor Downing, who's from, who will be a uh, junior from, um, from Creston from down in Southwest Iowa, this kid's good. And he may have been Iowa state's best offensive lineman last year anyway. So they, they played a lot of linemen. They're going to have to plug in three guys. And then that's going to be tough because Iowa state's never had a great offensive line. They've been adequate. They've been enough to, to, um, you know, to get the job done that to have, you know, to have a thousand yard rushers, for example, and to have, you know, to, to, to block well enough for Brock Purdy. But, um, um, They'll, they'll be they'll be all right. It's never a strength of the team, but they've they've got guys who started. They've got four or five guys, not who started, but who played a lot. So it's not going to be a deep position, yet it's going to be it's going to be adequate, passable. I guess I guess that's a word for it. Again, busy with Randy Peterson, the Des Moines Register. We've got Iowa State number twenty three in our preseason top twenty five. Let's go to defense. A lot of familiar names on that side of the ball. How good can that group be in your eyes? 
could be the best defense Iowa State's had in in a in a long time. And I know people are going to say, "Well, that's not saying much," but but it it really is because Iowa State's defense under Matt Campbell, since Matt Campbell's been the head coach with John Haycock running the defense, they he's he's revamped that whole that whole defense. They've gone to the three man front. They were one of the first teams in in college football to go to a three man front and to, and they they've done it successfully. So so and, and schools are are now catching up with that. This is a defense that's that's got very experienced defensive linemen coming back including defensive end Jaquan Bailey who who entered last season needing just one sack to be Iowa State's career sack leader. Well, he got hurt in the first error in the, the fourth game of the year against against Baylor and, and, and didn't play the rest of the season. He's back. He could have gone he could he was a senior last year, but he hadn't redshirted, so he's and he didn't get his four total four games in. So he's he's back. He could have gone on to you know to try to get into an NFL camp or to re you know to rehabbed and got into an NFL camp, but he decided to come back. So the defensive line is going to be really good. The linebackers have been very good, very good as of late. Um, you know, not as of late. Iowa State's had good linebackers for the last seven or eight years probably. And Mike Rose is, is the leader there. He's a preseason all-conference guy. Um, the defensive backfield, um, safety, um, Greg Iceworth, he was a preseason all-preseason um all big 12 guys. So, so he's back in the, in the back end with, with, with starters coming back around him. So this could be the best defense Iowa state's had. And, and, and it's a, it's a defense with depth too. So, so, um, you know, that's going to be the key word this season. If, and when we get college football going, that's going to be a key word this season is depth, because what if a guy comes down with a crud, you know, what if you test mm-hmm. for COVID on, on Wednesday, you know, you're out, you could be out one or two games and that could be any, anything, anybody from your starting quarterback to your, to your thousand yard rusher. So this is, it's going to be key that, uh, you know, depth is, as you know, is, is going to be, is going to be the big deal. And on defense, Iowa state's got, got, I think it's got tremendous depth. Randy, last year, I think we, we had Iowa State somewhere in the teens in our preseason top 25, and they didn't quite live up to that. So I think that spooked us a little bit, and that's why we have them at 23. But listening to you and kind of breaking this down, to me, this looks like a team that could play for a Big 12 title. Am, am, I, am I way off on that, or is, is this team capable of being one of the last two standing? Well, the Big 12, the, the Big 12 media um, picked – Picked Iowa State for fourth, with which I thought was was probably one run low. I picked them for third. I picked them Oklahoma, obviously, um, number one, and I had Texas number two, and then Iowa State three. Well, the apparently the majority of the, of the reporters who voted had had Oklahoma one, Oklahoma State number two behind Chuba Hubbard, the running back who gained a gazillion yards last year. Um, um, Texas number three and Iowa State four. So I guess the, I guess the other than Oklahoma, numbers two, three, and four are fairly interchangeable. I would say so. Yeah, Iowa State's got a shot to play in the um, in the in the championship game. I would say the, one thing that works against Iowa State is that they play at at Texas late in the season, and Iowa State doesn't seem to ever win down there. Um, so that could be that could work against Iowa State, but but yeah, a little with a little luck on the health front, I think Iowa State could be among the the two standing at the end. Certainly, certainly they go right into the last maybe two weeks of the season with that with that possibility. 
And hopefully we can put a lot of people in the stands for that game in Dallas. They would travel like crazy down there if they were able to get that opportunity. Randy, great to catch up. Good to hear that you're healthy. Let's all keep our fingers crossed. We've got some college football being played here in about six, seven weeks. All right. Tell everybody hi over there for me. Thanks for having me. Anytime. We'll bet. Thank you, thank you, Randy. Randy Peterson of the Des Moines Register with us on our Sports Nightly Hotline, brought to you by the Woodhouse Auto Family, bringing you more choices in brands, locations, and service. Experience the difference. Purchase with confidence. This is Woodhouse. All right, Tim Curran, what do you make of these Cyclones? Yeah, I mean, I think I agree with a lot of what Randy was saying. I mean, basically, it's in Brock we trust. And even, hey, their running back, Brees Hall, averaged over, I think, 100 yards pop last season. That's not bad at all. And their defense, as Randy was talking about, has a bunch of depth, especially at D-line. Last year, they weren't great third-down defensive-wise, so maybe that holds them up. But they are one of the better teams in the Big 12. But in their schedule, they're going to have to play Oklahoma State and OU back-to-back, and that's going to be the big test. Last year, they almost beat them both, but came up just short. And that's kind of the story with Matt Campbell's teams is they're always solid, but they can't get really get past that seven to kind of eight win threshold to kind of get to that next gear. It's going to take quite a bit. And as Randy was talking about, it, maybe it's just Brock Purdy is, uh, you know, the plays like the greatest of all time, um, you know, this year and, and breaks all the records and, you know, they, they just kind of run the table. I, I could see that happening just as easily I could, as I could see them stumbling against OU and Oklahoma State and kind of falling off the wagon so uh third place is probably about right maybe fourth if they underperform but um top two i i could see it a little bit harder sell but hey i mean if brock purdy does his thing then maybe great point because of as randy laid it out in his eyes two and three are probably two three and four iowa state texas and oklahoma state they play those two on the road so they don't get either one of them at home. So they're going to have to win a big road game. And Matt Campbell's done that. He won a Norman a couple years ago. I think people kind of forget he beat Oklahoma three years ago in Norman. In fact, last year only lost to him by a point. He's kind of figured out how to play Lincoln Riley's Oklahoma Sooners. But that you know they're going to have to win a road, big road game if they want to get to Dallas to play for the title. We like him. I'm not sure we like him to be in the Big 12 championship game. Thus, we've got him at number 23. Kind of feel like we have him about right. Don't oh, yeah. you? Yeah, because I think that, you know, and who knows how rankings are going to work this year with just the conference schedule and less games. And so if you have, you know, two or three losses, that's obviously different than having two or three losses with a non-con schedule. So, and also they're not playing Iowa. So maybe that does play (laughs) to their benefit. They're not playing the Hawkeyes, so they're not going to lose to them for sure. Um, So you could see them having just two losses this year, but those two losses will be pretty big, Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, but who knows? To me, 23, I think that's about right. I wasn't huge on them. I think me and Ben both were kind of hesitant to put them there, but 23, it seems about right, especially given Brock Purdy, their talent on O and the depth on D. Yeah, last night we did UCF at 24, and I got done with that going. I don't. I think we undershot them. I think they're going to be better than that. I, th- I feel pretty good where we have Iowa State at number 23. Thanks again to Randy Peterson from the Des Moines Register for spending some time with us here on Sports Audio. His voice will sound familiar. And Neville's gone. Bye-bye baseball. His knowledge is endless. He looked so fast. It was unbelievable. He's our Major League Baseball insider. Just ate a brownie, so I'm ready to go. Lane Grindle. Well, coming to us from uh, outside today, a little social distancing by Lane Grindle. Yeah, it's a gorgeous day in Wisconsin. Figured I'd take advantage of it and 
it also gets me away from the noise inside my house. So that seemed like a, a proper thing to do, too, for the interview. Well, we're one day away from the start of the season. You've had a chance to call some inter-squad games in an empty big league ballpark. What was that like for you? Well, it's it's different for sure. Uh, it's not what we're used to. Uh, probably the closest thing at the major league level that we've ever experienced is Marlins Park in Miami because they just don't draw very many fans there. And so when you're calling games there, there's, there's a lack of energy, uh, of course, in the ballpark. But uh, really, it kind of brought me back to some of the games that you and I called together at Nebraska when we were at Minivate Park in Houston calling uh, tournament games there where there just weren't that many fans there for a couple of those games. Also, Target Field, we called a lot of games over a couple of different years at the Big Ten Tournament at Target Field, and there were you know, very few fans in the ballpark for those. So probably you know, a little bit reminiscent of those times. However, the pumped-in crowd noise, as I told you last week, it makes a huge difference. It really does. Uh, you can't hear everybody talking to each other. You can't hear somebody yelling from the dugout at the umpire. And, and I think it protects a little bit of that part of the game. And I do think that's important. And we talked to a lot of the guys while we were doing these inner squads. We mic'd up guys, and they actually had earpieces in where we could talk to them. And one of the nights, uh, last Friday night, we had Brock Hold on with us, and, and he talked about the, the little nuances of communication uh, during a game that uh, you wouldn't be able to do if there's nobody in the ballpark and there was no sound. Uh, for an example, when you're playing third base and there's an off-speed pitch coming, you can't see the signs from third, so you don't know. But the shortstop might give you a little, you know, so you know that that's coming, so you can maybe cheat a little bit closer to the line. You can't do that when there's no sound because now the batter knows <laughs> that off-speed's coming, right? Well, so you have the crowd noise pumped in, and, and guys can communicate a little bit easier and keep it away from the opposition while doing so. So I think those little things uh, with that pumped-in crowd noise are going to make the game a little bit better. Well, you know, it, you can either whistle like that from the shortstop third baseman because the batter's hearing, you know, trash cans getting beat up in the uh, uh, underneath the stands by the other team, right? That was one of the, the early jokes in all of this was, well, with no fans, everybody <laughs> – those trash cans just fine down in Houston. Um, yeah, I, I, I do think that uh, that, that was going to be a little bit harder. Uh, not that any of that was going to be going on anymore in Houston, but, uh, yeah, that's going to be – it's still going to be a storyline. I mean, we kind of put that story to, to, to bed for a few months, obviously, through all of this, but we're going to hear more about that and guys getting hit and stuff like that, I think, over the next couple of weeks. That, that story is probably going to come back a little bit for a while. Yeah, I'm sure it will. Big story today was Mookie Betts. He has come to terms with the Dodgers, a long-term mega money deal. Uh, was this surprising? A lot of people thought he would play the one year and then play it out from there. What, what Are you surprised by the Betts deal today? I'm a little surprised by it. I, I, I'm not surprised the Dodgers wanted to lock him down. I don't think you make the move they move, made without trying to extend him long-term. And I'm not surprised that he took that deal. It's a very good deal for Mookie Betts. 12 years, $365 million. That's a really good deal for Mookie Betts. A lot, I mean, you know, this is different than the NFL. It's guaranteed money. I mean, that, that's, that's, that's impressive stuff. So I think he did really well, especially in the climate we're in, where there's a lot of uncertainty about the finances of the game over the next couple of years. I think they clearly were, were down the road quite a ways with this before everything hit in March would be my guess just by looking at it on the surface but I think it's a good deal for Mookie Betts I think the Dodgers now made a, a deal that's not going to be relegated to just 60 games and hopefully the postseason 
now they extend him out for for 12 years and they got to be thrilled about that but it, it didn't come at nothing this was a steep deal but he's one of the best players in the game and so it's hard to fold it big money not quite Mahomes money but but big money nonetheless yeah. for Mookie Betts Lane the other thing that's going on is Toronto can't find a home the this the country of Canada is not going to allow teams to come in there not quarantine so they can't play games at Rogers Park their ballpark in Toronto uh, Pittsburgh I guess today said no we're not gonna let you use PNC Park where's this thing headed with the Jays I'm not sure. I think it, it, from everything I've read so far, and I think there's going to be more that comes out on this over the next 24 hours or so because they've got to move fast. I mean, the time's ticking. I think their first home game is July 29. Is that right, Greg? Sounds right. Yeah. I, I for the, the Toronto Blue Jays or the whoever Blue Jays, wherever they're going to be playing from this coming year. Um, they got to, they got the Nationals coming in for their first home series, so they've got to figure out where they're going hotels that they've got to get reserved this isn't uh this isn't something you can do just 36 hours out they're gonna have to figure this out pretty soon i think that they had some contingencies in place from what i've read if the pirates thing fell through um it sounds like most of those contingencies are major league ballparks i am of course a little bit biased i'm sure you are too i feel like omaha would be a great home i think td ameritrade park would be their own ballpark that they could more easily social distance in um, because that's, a, that's, that's complicated. I think in taking two teams into one ballpark, one, getting the schedule to work right, two, um, just getting guys in and out of the stadium safely and, 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 and by following the health protocols, that's really complicated. And now you're asking even more of whoever that team is that's hosting them. You're asking even more out of their security staff, their HR staff, their, their medical people. And I, I think it's, 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 it's harder to pull off than people realize. And so if you just went to Omaha, you'd have it to yourself. And I think it'd be a little bit easier to figure out. I don't know that it's going to happen. I've never heard anything that gives Omaha a ton of momentum. And I know geographically it doesn't really fit in the AL East which is probably a bit of a concern too. But I really believe one of the easiest plug-and-play situations for the Blue Jays would be to move to Omaha for these next 60 games. You might be able to have fans at some point, and you might even be able to salvage a little bit of your, of your budget by doing so because you know the people would show up. Even in the midst of a pandemic, I think a lot of people would show up as long as you had it safe and socially distanced in a responsible fashion. And uh, I, I think it would actually be a pretty good situation for the Blue Jays if they if they looked into it. Well, when you talk about convenience, airports right there by the ballparks, nice hotels, uh, you know, five-star hotels close by. I mean, it would be easy in and out for teams to get in there. You're right, a little bit longer flights for the Bostons and the New Yorks and the Tampas and the Baltimores to come that way. But still, the convenience of the airport to all that stuff might make up for it. But we'll, we'll see how that plays out. Also, you... You're going to get ready to, to implement some new rules. You knew about the, the three reliever, three batter minimum for a reliever to face. You've known about that. But there's some other things, starting a runner at second base and extra innings. What, what, what of the new rules is, is maybe catching the, the biggest flack from the players? Well, I think it's going to be hard for everybody to, to wrap their arms around starting with a guy at second base and extra innings. But I think everybody understands, too, this is this is the year to experiment with these types of things if you're going to do it. Nobody wants to play 15 innings, come back and have to play the next day. The thing we're not talking about, Greg, is this is 60 games in 66 days. We haven't even started discussing rainouts 
and things of that nature. There's going to be some of those. And so now you're squeezing even more games into a smaller window at that point. So this is going to help eliminate some of those issues. It's going to protect pitching, especially early on. You won't have those, those lengthy games in the same way. I kind of think it's going to be interesting to see which managers approach it, you know, with small ball. And, you know, depending on who, who's up first in the inning and you got a guy at second, do you bunt and get the guy to third with, with one out and, and play the odds that way? Or, you know, obviously if you're number three hitters up, you might not do that. So I think all that stuff's going to be interesting. It's going to bring a little bit of strategy into the game that may be leaving with the DH being now universal because uh, I will miss some of the strategy and some of the double switches and everything that goes on in the National League. And this may bring a little bit of, of strategy that wasn't there before into play in extra innings. But I think that's going to be the one that, that's going to feel um, the most different and a little bit strange to some guys, and it might take them a little bit to get used to it. But like a lot of things, I mean, I, I, had, a, I had a hard time coming to grips with just putting a guy at first on an intentional walk, right? It just felt like, no, they should, they should throw four out of the zone, and that should be the way that it is. And now that we do it, it you, don't, you don't even realize that that's what goes on. I mean, it's just it, it, it immediately became part of the game. I never sit around and think, man, I wish they were throwing four pitches on intentional walks now. And this may, you know, and this may end up being one of those deals too, where once we do it for a few games and you see it happen, you're like, okay, everybody lived. (laughs) It was fine. And we move on from it. I I think this could have that effect too. I just might not right now when we're sitting around debating everything feel as natural as some of the other things are. The DH is going to be, I think a positive. I'll miss things about the pitchers hitting. Uh, the Brewers have some guys that can flat-out hit. Brandon Woodruff can really hit. And I'll miss seeing him step into the box. But I do think it'll be fun to see uh, Ryan Braun get more at-bats. Keston here can have a day off in the field. And you can go around with every team and, and have some of those same type of situations with guys, being able to still stay in the lineup a little bit more consistently but rest their bodies at the same time by not playing in the field. So I, I think there will be a positive overall with the universal DH. Very good. All right, last thing. Our next segment, we're going to pick our divisional winners. Give me a dark horse. Give me somebody that you think's maybe better than a lot of the experts thinks have divisions sewn up. Who would it be? Well, I, I like I like the Chicago White Sox in the Central to be, uh, and I, I don't know if they're a dark horse. I think everybody likes the moves they've made and the talent that they have. Um, but a lot of people have the Twins crowned as winning the Central, and I get it. They have a really tough offense to navigate if you're the opposing uh, pitcher. But uh, I, I like the White Sox. I like a lot of things that they bring to the table. I think they're going to be interesting. The Rays are always a dark horse, even though they're really good every year. They're always a dark horse. You never know what they might be able to, to get done, kind of like the A's in the AL West. And in the NL, um, I, I think the Padres and White Sox, you know, I, I, t- I talk about the White Sox and the AL. The Padres are kind of my – White Sox of the NL. I like a lot of the moves they have. They've got young prospects that are ready to go. And they might be better over 60 games, too, because they got some young guys in some spots that may perform better in a 60-game sprint than being able to navigate the 162 marathon because they're a little bit younger. So I think the Padres could be a little bit dangerous. The, the Dodgers' rotation's not quite what we thought it was going to be. David Price opted out. Um, it doesn't look as good Although, you know, the the Dodgers always seem to find a way to make it work. But over 60 games, they have one bad 10-day stretch, and the Padres get hot. I think the Padres could give them a run in the West. 
Very good. Interesting stuff. Well, here we are. This is great. It's taken a long time to get to this point, but uh, it gets underway with a couple of games tomorrow, and everybody plays on Friday. Enjoy yourself. I'm glad. I, mean, I know you're glad to get it back and get get the boys on the field again. Yeah, it's it's time, and uh, we're excited for it. Can't wait. We're back, Sports Nightly, here on a Wednesday night. Greg Sharp, Tim Curran with you, about to be joined by Josh Hookham. And as we make our picks for Major League Baseball, the divisional picks, let's start in the American League East. Tim, let's go back east. Who do you like in that division? Give me the Bronx Bombers. Um, with just 60 games, my kind of reasoning was if they have the most talent, you got guys like Garrett Cole, Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stanton. I could I could see them just kind of getting their foot on the gas pedal and not letting up. I could also see the Rays winning it, but uh, give me give me the Yankees. Okay, Josh. Yep, I'm going with the Yankees as well. And the only like Tim said, the only other team that I can see making a push in that division is the Rays. They have a, the pitching that's set up for a short season. I think they're the most de- they have the most depth of any team as far as pitching goes, probably in all Major League Baseball. But I'm still going the Yankees. Garrett Cole is a big addition for them. And and then obviously their lineup is is pretty tough too. So I'm going the Yankees, and I also have Ben Austin and Brett's picks as well. And all of them said the Yankees too. Good. I'll be the odd duck. I'm going Tampa. Give me Good. the Rays. I like not it. the homeless Blue Jays. Give me the Rays. No, <laughs> the Blue Jays did not really cross my mind. All right, Fair. let's go to the let's go to the Central. Josh, I'll let you lead us off with the AL Central. Well, I'm going to homer this one. I've got the Twins. Shock of all shocks. <laughs> yeah, I, there's. <laughs> No way I wasn't going to go with the Twins. Now, I know that Lane, in the last segment, he said that he thinks that the White Sox have a really good shot to challenge in that division, and he's probably not wrong. Like, they've built a lot of good young talent, and I think that they're going to be a good team. But I I think Cleveland can challenge for that division, too. So it's going to be tough. It's not going to be a cakewalk for the Twins by any means. But given what they did last year, I think that they are the favorite in that division. So I'm going Twins. Okay, what do our absentee ballots say? So Ben and Austin both say Minnesota as well. They go with the Twins. But then Brett goes out on the limb, and he says White Sox. So he's with Lane Grindle on that one. All right, well, I'm going to conform on this one. I'm with the (laughs) Twins on this one as well. Tim? Yeah, I'm doubling down, tripling down, I guess. Uh, give me the Twins. Never thought I'd live to see the day where a Minnesota <laughs> Twins team was winning uh, over 100 games Let's and go. smashing home run yeah. records. But uh, there you have it. Okay. All but one go with the Twins. All right, go out west. I'm going to lead off on this one. I think the Astros have the most talent, but I think there's going to be a lot of distractions with Houston because of the cheating scandal that they're coming off of. I think that will mess with them enough to let the Oakland A's win the AL West. So I am picking the A's in the West. Tim? Man. I also have the A's. I haven't Whoa. seen Moneyball, but I know they have a solid <laughs> franchise. Um, I also know the Astros can't cheat anymore, which just opens the door wide up, and here come the Oakland A's. Well, apparently the rest of us, myself and then Ben, Austin, Brett, we we think that either the Astros won in spite of, like, you know, it wasn't the cheating that did it, or they're going to be able to still be cheating because we all four of us went with the Astros. So that's – we're different than uh, – I'm glad that you and uh, Greg, you and Tim are, are kind yeah. of throwing th- some different it's, stuff out there. Yeah, yeah, it's boring if we're all the same, no, right? I, yeah, yeah, that's good. I like yeah. it. All right, let's go to the National League. Tim, you're up first. You get the East. Who do you like in the East? Give me the Braves. Uh, Ronald Acuna Jr., need I say more? They also have Marcelo Zuna now, Mike Soroka. I mean, I think uh, whenever you have a lot of talent, all horses on one team, I just go by the theory of it's a sprint, not a marathon. They might just jump out early and, and kind of keep a hold of things. And I'm – you could probably make an argument for a couple other teams, but uh, Braves all the way. 
Yeah, the I have the Braves as well. The Nationals are probably up there, and you know maybe the Phillies, maybe the Mets. You know, there's some different teams that are decent, but I think the Braves are in a class of their own. And the rest of the guys agree with what we've had so far. Ben, Austin, and Brett all have the Braves. Well, this is boring. So I've got oh. the Braves too. Oh man, what? clean sweep. Not the, the Marlins. Braves. You didn't go to the Marlins. Come no, on. No, <laughs> they were. I, I I considered them for like a millisecond, and then moved on to the the next thing. There. All right, Josh, go to the Central. Okay, this is where it gets really fun. There's some uh, a lot of diversity of opinions in the Central in the National League. I uh, I have the Reds, and they have they've put together a really solid pitching staff. And Luis Castillo. Yeah, your boy, the Harriers ace, uh, dominated in the postseason. So, yeah, I've got the Reds as the division winner. And then Austin agrees with me. He has Cincinnati as well. But then Ben goes with the Cardinals, which I'm guessing Tim is also going to go with. And then the Brewers was Brett's pick. So we have three different teams between the four of us Wow, so far. I'm, I'm Reds, too. I think they. I really like their off-season acquisitions. I think they're ready to kind of take a big jump, and I think the shortened season will help them out some. Tim? Get this Reds talk uh, out of here. Uh, Cardinals all the way. Hopefully I just kind of will that into existence by saying Cardinals. I mean, you got Jack Flaherty. You got Adam Wainwright, oh. the greatest of all time. Matt Carver, Dexter Fowler, Paul Goldschmidt, who's going to set uh, the all-time uh, home run record, even with just 60 games he's going to smash uh 120 home runs Cy- two game calling it right now so Cy Young winner Jack Flaherty Tim he was he, <laughs> Mammoth was he was the Mammoth yeah. case over there so it's true it's so did, true. did did we pick every team in the division no we didn't uh cover the Cubs the Cubs <laughs> or the Pirates actually so we did three okay. of the five yep okay three of the five wow how about that? That will be interesting to see how that comes out. All right, we finish in the NL West. I'm going to be boring here. I know Lane talked about the Padres, but but I think the Dodgers have too much. I think there's just that lineup's too good. Uh, the Dodgers are my pick. Tim? Yeah, it, it has to be the Dodgers. I mean, you'd need Mookie to tear his Achilles and Clayton to blow his arm out and Cody Bellinger. I mean, you'd Walker have to have Mueller. a disaster here <laughs> yeah, for, for the L.A. to not win this. I mean, they won the pennant like two years in a row a couple years ago, so uh, they're probably even bound to win the World Series. I'm calling it right now. We're not predicting World <laughs> Series winners yet, but the Dodgers are going to win this weird short World Series. Call well, it right I, now. I think they're the betting favorite to do yes. that, by the way. Right. I think that the, the favorites will be the Dodgers against the Yankees that's kind of the I think the front line I I also have the Dodgers and it's a clean sweep up from all of us I actually have wild card picks from the other guys if you want to want to hear those that I I didn't prepare for that but yeah go ahead if they did okay sounds good well (laughs) uh in the AL wild card we'll start there Ben went with the athletics and Rays and that's who I put down too Austin goes with the Rays and the White Sox and then Brett has the Twins and Rays so all teams that were mentioned among us so no new teams in there and then in the National League Ben has the Nationals and the Reds. I've got the Nationals and Padres as my wildcard teams. Austin has the Nationals and Cardinals. And Brett has the Nationals and the Cubs. So the Cubs making a late appearance, too. Tim, did you do wildcards? I did not. Uh, I came willfully underprepared. Um, <laughs> well, this yeah. all could be outdated if Major League adds but that's two more I was say. teams that's in the true. next 12 hours. Very good point. Well, yeah, that's that's a, that's a great point. Then we're going to have to pick like four wild cards and 
All right. If you're not first or last, as a wise man once said, so we're not interested in True. those guys. All you other guys get extra credit because hey, you didn't. You, did, you <laughs> went above and beyond the picks. You you put the wild cards in there, but isn't that crazy? I just saw something also on Twitter that they're talking about eliminating third base. I mean, I, I don't know if they're gonna go that far. Come on, just to take third base out of the game. Oh, Come on. No, I liked it. We other, basically two divisions we kind of locked in together, yep. right? We locked in all the Dodgers and all we all Braves. locked in the Braves. Yep, yeah, that surprises me a little bit. In the National League East, we all locked in on the Braves. But yeah, 